Did you know that the 4th of July is on a Thursday this year? That's going to be a full weekend of fun out on the deck, four days. But if your deck isn't what it used to be and you aren't using it for great family gatherings, you need to call my friends at All Weather Decks. All Weather Decks is a 24-time winner of the Angie Super Service Award. And they probably help one of your neighbors. Click on the map link at allweatherdecks.net. Call All Weather Decks today at 913-206-1974 or go to allweatherdecks.net and mention you heard it on 810. Call now and relax. The show that takes you home. The Home Stretch with Sterling Holmes on ESPN Kansas City, 1510 AM, 94.5 FM, and the ESPN Kansas City Facebook page. Welcome to the Home Stretch, ESPN Kansas City, 1510 AM, 94.5 FM, 1510.com, and Facebook Live, live in studio on a what feels like we're living in Seattle right now. A rainy, dreary hump day. But don't worry. A lot of fun. A lot of stuff to get to today. Talking NFL, talking Chiefs, as well as the Sunflower Showdown last night between K-State and KU. We'll also talk about the Arkansas and Mizzou basketball game coming up tonight. But first, let's bring on Daniel Harms, film analyst for RGR Football. Daniel, how are you doing? Well, you know, you know, I'm getting the rain over here, too. It's uh, cold with it, so it looks like we might be uh, having some fun cold weather, either snow or rain football this weekend, so I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, it's ass, man. I, I'm not going to lie. I was thinking about going to the game. I was considering it, <laughs> and then I saw it was supposed to snow, and I said, zero chance I'm going. I don't do cold, man. I don't do it. I, see, I admit it. There's some people who are like, you, you know, they try and, and go through it, and they're they're secretly just freezing, but they try and tell you it's not that bad. No, no, no. I am not going to lie to you. I'm built different. I'm built for Florida. I'm not built for snow. Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, I'm from Michigan, and I'm also like 6'5", so it's maybe 6'4", whatever. <laughs> yeah, come on now. Uh, hey, so I've met you, Daniel. I, I can refute these statements every time you're getting taller and taller, Daniel. No, I, I, I said 6'5 for the longest time, but when I was at the doctor's office last time, I'm 6'4 and change, so whatever. That's why I round up. But uh, either way, I'm, I'm more built for the, the weather, you know, living in Michigan for as long as I did. But I tell you what, the colds in the Midwest, they're just it's, – it's different. They, they pierce everything. They get through jackets. The wind is, is different. So, yeah, I seeing that weather forecast for Saturday, I'm just like, probably not going to go to this game. <laughs> Well, speaking of different, the Chiefs running back room might look a little different come Saturday. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, uh, he's now back at practice. I don't think even if he is activated, will take any snaps away from Isaiah Pacheco or Jarek McKinnon. But how does Clyde Edwards-Alaire fit in if he is deemed ready to go Saturday or at least later on into the postseason? Well, they were using him a lot more creatively in the regular season earlier when he was playing in the red zone. I think that there is an area for him to come in and play in the red zone, whether it's passing downs, whether it's running downs, because we've seen even with you know Isaiah Pacheco getting more of those into, inside the five, inside the 10-yard runs. I think that Clyde still has the trust of the team to not, you know, to, to not make those mistakes, maybe to, to read in between the tackles a little bit. If he's healthy, he's ready to go. I think he will be the third guy. But uh, you're going to see much of the same from Isaiah Pacheco and much of the same from Jarek McKinnon. 
he's probably just going to take over what Toronto Jones was doing. Maybe they give him a touch or two more, but I don't see it changing a ton of what the Chiefs are going to focus on with running the football in this game, especially the rest of the uh, excuse me, rest of the postseason. Yeah, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Isaiah Pacheco is going yeah. for what four and a half yards per carry. Uh, Jared McKinnon looks as explosive now as he did in his early twenties. Uh, they have a nice combination going with those two guys. No reason to mess it up just because Clyde again sunk cost was a first round draft pick. Where do you think the Chiefs? take advantage of the Jacksonville defense? Is it on the ground? Is it the fact that Jacksonville is about 32nd when it comes to guarding tight ends? Does Travis Kelsey just go off? Where do you see this Chiefs offense take, taking advantage of the Jacksonville defense? I do think that they want to try to run the ball a little more effectively. It's not necessarily going to be easy to do so. The Jaguars have been really good against the run, specifically lately. But you want to attack down the middle of the field where these linebackers are. They're not the best coverage linebackers in the NFL, especially, you know, go back to the Jaguars game um, the first time around. They destroyed them in, out of 13 personnel. They were just running Noah Gray at him, you know, Joey Fortson at him and Travis Kelsey, and they couldn't really stop the explosive plays. You also had, you know, the big explosive play from Junior Smith-Schuster down the right-hand sideline off that wheel route that he ran in between a corner and a safety on, that zone, on the zone. So they do want to get to that, but I think play action – is going to be where they can continue to do so because while the Jaguars want to play base defense, they want three linebackers on the field or whatever it is that they actually run out there. Maybe it's two linebackers and the overhang outside linebackers. I think that's what more of what it, what they run. That's where they can really attack them. The middle of the field is going to be the the, the areas that they attack continuously attack. Now, if the Jags decide to change things up a little bit, maybe play a little bit more diamond, try to get it quicker in the middle of the field so they can actually protect against some of their tight ends. They might have some shots on the outside with MVS, who, again, they've been trying to get the ball down the field. We've seen the last couple of games of the season the Chiefs actively target down the field with MVS and Justin Watson. They've been able to do that to some success. They've had some issues kind of connecting here and there, but I think early in the game, they're going to want to try to be effective and efficient with the run game and get to some play action. Again, out of 13 personnel, Blake Bell will also help in terms of the run blocking aspect that he brings. Having Jody Fortson back does help them bring multiple types of 13 personnel out, and that's where they're going to be able to be most effective and be physical. I think they need to be able to push some of these uh, Jaguars defenders around a little bit, specifically because I think you're going to see the corners be a little bit more physical with the receivers on the outside, and you want to try to maybe suck them in a little bit with the play action and then hit them over the top. Daniel Harms, film analyst for RGR Football, joining us right here, home stretch ESPN Kansas City. So you're expecting Jody Forson to at least have some sort of impact in this game. They have Blake Bell obviously back as well, Noah Gray starting to get some run. My personal opinion is in the postseason, your roster s somewhat shrinks up. You obviously have the active mm -hmm. guys, but Travis Kelsey, who just example here, let's, let's say he was playing 70% of snaps in the regular season, he's going to probably play about 85 to 90 in the postseason, right? Probably. So is there even any room for Jody Fortson, or is that more of a we wish it would happen, but realistically it's probably not. It's going to be Travis Kelsey and maybe some Noah Gray, maybe some Jody, but not as much as maybe you would you would like to see or as much as you would typically see in a regular season game. Yeah, I think it just more depends on how healthy he is because you can always play 13 personnel and just leave Travis Kelsey on the field. 
you don't uh, you don't ever have to take him off if you don't want to. You run Travis as many times as you can. If, if he's good to go, you get him out there because he's that you know that good of a player. But you know if they run more thirteen, they run more twelve. They can always rotate those extra tight ends out. Whether it's like Bell, especially if you're trying to maybe attack down the field a little bit more and be a little bit more hesitant with what you're going to run or trying to hold back from the Jags that you bring. Let's just say you bring Jody, Noah Gray, and Travis Kelsey out. You can always run out of that. It's a little more obvious that you could run more effectively with Blake Bell, but you can always attack from 13 personnel with Jody and Noah Gray and Travis Kelsey. So I, I just want, if he's healthy and he's good to go, I'd like to see them try and stretch the field with Jody and with Noah Gray and Travis Kelsey, because at the end of the day, Blake Bell, for everything that he has, I know he caught a touchdown pass um, a few weeks, almost a month ago now, in his first game back down down the field, his best days are going to be blocking and then being just an outlet chain mover. He's not really going to be used as a field-stretching element anymore, especially coming off an injury. So I'm just, I want to see if he's healthy. Jody Fortson out there giving them that element to force maybe some linebackers shifting, and then you can hit him underneath with like Juju Smith-Schuster on a drag route or Kadarius Toney on a drag route, whoever that extra receiver is in 13 or 12 personnel. Well, someone who is a field stretcher who is probably not going to be playing in this game and maybe out for the postseason, McCall Hardman. What is your takeaway from McCall Hardman's injury, uh, the confusion it feels like from the majority of fans, folks in the media? We're a little left out in the cold when it comes to the actual injury itself that was suffered by Hardman. What have you made or what have you taken away from everything surrounding Hardman and his injury, and what is the impact of him missing at least the Jaguars game? They, not just the Chiefs, but McCole Hardman wants to be healthy. Yeah. I think that this is along the same lines as what Lamar Jackson is doing. It's not the exact same situation, obviously, um, or what Lamar Jackson did, excuse me, now that the, the Ravens are out of the postseason. But, you know, a lot of people push athletes to play if they're hurt and they can't play. We've seen that happen a lot. And when you're not fully healthy, the chance of re-aggravating injury is far greater. I think that's pretty uh, upfront with everybody. So we've heard specifically over the past couple of weeks, this is with Lamar Jackson, that you know he's limping around in the locker room. That you know Sammy Watkins just comes out and says he's hurting, but I wish he could come out and play. Like trying to press him to play through injury and impact his future. You know, McCole Hartman and I would imagine this, the staff have sat down and said, look, you probably could give it a go if you absolutely wanted to. But in the, in the long run, we understand you're trying not only to play and be at your best, but to make money. Like That's what a lot of people want to do in the NFL. Or, yeah, you're great at playing the sport. It's awesome. But you want to help accrue generational wealth for your family all the way down the line, whatever it is. I'm not saying that McCall Hardman is going to get paid $17 million a year because I don't think that coming off of injury you can see that happening from any team. But you're going to want to have a, you know, a prove-it year where you're fully – healthy for, whether that's playing a couple games here in the postseason, you know, whether that's playing in just one game, depending on when he's ready to go. So it, it, for me, since we don't have any idea what the injury is, what, what it happened, like I don't, I have no idea. Maybe I, I've missed that. But he's clearly, and he and the coaching staff have clearly sat down with the trainers and talked about the process. Andy Reid comes out this week saying, you know, he, he's just, not where he was he needs to be had a little setback whatever it is and at the end of the day i am all for not pushing athletes to play through possible injuries that can get worse from playing if it can prevent them from getting you know the paydays they want to get and i'm all for that so i'm getting those paydays in 
I, I would also say how impactful the Kadarius Tony midseason trade is looking even now. Kadarius sure. Tony looks like he has the best connection deep with Patrick Mahomes. I mean, MVS and Justin Watson, they've made a few deep ball catches, obviously, but it feels like Kadarius Tony is the one guy that who who goes up and gets it, right? It doesn't have to be a perfect throw where it feels like it almost needs to for MVS, where it almost needs to for Justin Watson. Sure. And, and that's definitely something that we've uh we've seen from Tony. Uh something I want to bring up. Trevor Lawrence said, I can't imagine Arrowhead Stadium will be much louder than Jacksonville last Saturday. I saw you retweeted this. Uh, <laughs> you think Lawrence is going to have a little uh, little something coming his way on Saturday? Oh my gosh, I, I I don't I don't put anything past him. Okay, I I understand that the LD, the atmosphere that was in Jacksonville during that that game. It's incredible. It's hard to think anything can match something like that with the energy. I would imagine Arrowhead. When they not only when they broke the record, but when they came back to beat the Houston Texans in the playoffs a few years ago, you know, on their way to the Super Bowl, that comeback, I would imagine Arrowhead probably got far louder than Jacksonville did. And again, I don't when you don't hear it, when you can't be there physically, you can't experience, you haven't experienced it, you don't know. And sometimes you say things out of context. We all know that Arrowhead is the loudest stadium in the world, right? Like we all understand that because we have actual proof like there's proof <laughs> there's proof of it so i mean i'm not gonna like try and down him he's never experienced it but i'm very hopeful that arrowhead <laughs> will allow him to experience that this weekend i will also say what's he supposed to say i mean because yeah right <laughs> you just played in jacksonville it was rocking you can't be like yeah you guys were great Absolutely. fans appreciate the home support but arrowhead fans are even louder and better no he's not <laughs> gonna say that i don't have a massive issue with it i understand it's gonna rile yeah. Chiefs fans up but lawrence was put between a rock and a hard place he can't say anything different i don't fault the man no. at all Absolutely um not. i want to talk about the chief's defense and how they stop Mm-hmm. Uh, Travis Etienne because Etienne is having a very nice season. I compare him a little bit to Austin Eckler. It, they're, they're, they're different players, obviously, but they both excel catching the ball out of the backfield. They're both very explosive, although we didn't see it from Eckler last week. Uh, Nick Bolton is going to have a tough time, whether that's going up against Etienne out of the backfield. We might see some Willie Gay Jr. in that in those instances as well. But coming down, just straight downhill, who gets the better Etienne or Nick Bolton? Oh, Nick Bolton. I mean, he's a more powerful player. If you can match one-on-one in the open field, uh, we've seen Nick Bolton not only be able to match up with Derrick Henry at times in a hole to last year. Everyone remembers that, right? Like, he was all over the field and just stopping Derrick Henry, like the most powerful guy. Now, I I think that Etienne's a better straight-line acceleration athlete than than Derrick Henry is, but, I mean... The dude's an alien, so I don't really, I really can't compare the two in terms of what they bring to an NFL field. Derrick Henry's a much better running back, in my opinion. I think most people will, would agree with that. But head on, open field, straight on each other. I think Nick Bolton can bring him down. It's going to be more about the angles. And when we're talking about acceleration and speed, when you have Nick Bolton coming from an angle, okay, so say he's running to his left, you have Etienne running to his right up the side. It's an angle race, and we have seen. Multiple times, not only in this team this season, but in the past, McCole Hardman, Tyreek Hill are able to erase angles 
And ETN has that ability. In the second half of the Jags game, the first time around, they started getting him going in the second half. And if they let him get out of the backfield and get some, some dump-offs in, into open space, the Chiefs defense is going to find some trouble bringing him down. It would not surprise me, especially in obvious passing situations. If Brian Cook was asked to play mm. that linebacker role like we've seen Dan Sorensen and asked to cover Travis ETN because like he's a better it. athlete than – um, you know, Nick Bolton, and he can't do that one-on-one, especially because we know Spags wants to play dime anyway. So that's what they want to get to in those obvious passing situations. It wouldn't surprise me to see Brian Cook tasked with guarding a guy like Travis Etienne. But in you know, an open space, I think one-on-one, if they're coming at each other, I give the edge to Nick Bolton to bring him down. I like that. I didn't even really think of that. Uh, but Brian Cook could be a good um... – a good mitigator when it comes to being the guy that's tasked with taking down on third down situations, ETN. Uh, would that mean he would be the guy on third down? You would keep Nick Bolton on, no Willie Gay Jr., obviously no Leo, Leo Chanel, but he'd be the guy you'd leave on the field, Brian Cook, in those instances? Yeah, I think that we've actually, over the last few weeks of the season, we've seen Spags get more comfortable bringing in Brian Cook in those dime situations, having him play like a pseudo-linebacker role, and he's earning that trust. He's, un- he's, I think he's understanding the defense a little bit more. He's played better in those roles as well, almost you know, having a couple pass breakups up in the middle of the field. I don't know how Darren Waller held on to the one where he was literally in his hip pocket the whole time, but you know, he's been in position. So um, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable right now saying that in those third-down obvious passing situations that, yeah, that Brian Cook's going to be there and the guy next to Nick Bolton. Uh, when it comes to Christian Kirk, we laughed in the off season about the contract that was handed to him. While it was an overpay then, obviously Christian Kirk at this moment looks like he's living up to that contract. He's been a phenomenal wide receiver, a back-end wide receiver one, I would say, in the NFL. Um, how do the Chiefs handle stopping Christian Kirk? Is it going to be a Legereus Sneed? You know, here we go. Legereus Sneed, you are tasked to go up against Christian Kirk? Will it be some trade-offs? Will it be Trent McDuffie? Because it's not like Christian Kirk is huge. He's 5'11", right? Mm-hmm. McDuffie can handle yeah. the size differential. There's nothing there. But do you put LeJarius Sneed, what I think majority of folks would say is your best corner, uh, just go against him one-on-one? What do you see happening here? Yeah, I, not only do I see that happening, I think LeJarius is a little pissed off about what happened last time. He arguably played his worst game against Christian Kirk in these Jags last time. And they played about 65% man in that game, and they did have a lot of time where he was on Christian Kirk one-on-one. But we've, we've kind of seen a real growth from Legereus Sneed, not just from that game, but this season being, you know, asking to go against the number one receiver of the opposite team. And that is Christian Kirk for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Regardless of where he plays, the, the offense is schemed around two guys. And it's schemed around Christian Kirk and Evan Ingram. Those are the two guys that the offense really revolves around that allows Zay Jones and Marvin Jones to do what they do on the outside. And when you can attack the middle of the field the way that the Jags do with Christian Kirk and Evan Ingram, it allows, like I said, those guys to thrive, and that's where they, they make most of their money. So I would expect LeJarius need to be not only tasked to cover him, but be ready for this time around, studying tape harder than he did last time, and ready to go after the, the game that he had against Christian Kirk last time. So I think we'll see maybe him switch from time to time onto Zay Jones, but I do expect the majority of the time him to be lined up against Chris Kirk. should be a fun matchup. Daniel Harms, film analyst for RGR Football, joining us right here, homestretch ESPN Kansas City. One of the matchups I'm really looking forward to is Trevor Lawrence against Steve Spagnuolo. Steve Spagnuolo had an amazing 
Amazing game plan, Week 18 against the Raiders, against Jared Stidham. Obviously, it's different. The Raiders are not as talented, but they do have Devontae Adams and Darren Waller. Jared Stidham, while he is a young dude in his, what, second start at the time, he did have a very good first start for his NFL career. Now, Trevor Lawrence is more experienced than Stidham, but Lawrence is still a young quarterback. Now, do you think we'll see some of these Justin Reed blitzes? Do you think we'll see a lot of blitzes from the secondary, some, some disguises here from Spags? Or do you think he'll be a little more um, transparent, if you will, and allow the front four of Kansas City, which has got a lot of pressure recently, to do their thing? What are you, what are you trying to see from Spags D here? Absolutely not. Steve Spagnuolo was going to make, try to confuse Trevor Lawrence. He did it in the first matchup, and he was able to get home a few times in those instances as well. And what we've seen from, uh, from Trevor Lawrence over the season is that Doug Peterson has, little by little, given him the reins. He does a lot at the line of scrimmage. You go back to the, just the playoff game. He was changing things at the line of scrimmage for the Jaguars and oh, against the Chargers defense in the second half. He was getting, you know, Zay Jones wide open for a touchdown. Like He figured out what they were doing. So if you confuse Trevor Lawrence enough, because, again, he's still second year starting and in the NFL. He hasn't seen everything yet. And I know that Steve Spagnuolo is going to have a nice little game plan ready for a younger quarterback who, again, he's going to be a top-five quarterback in the NFL. In the, in that, maybe, maybe as soon as next year. I do believe he's that talented with Doug Peterson at the helm, getting a few, a few extra weapons, a better offensive line. They can really – do some things in Jacksonville. They're going to be a team to watch. Uh, but right now they're, they're having some interior offensive line problems. Not only are we talking about extra attention going to Chris Jones, but gaps opening up because maybe some inexperience on the interior. Walker Little has been great on the outside for them on the offensive line. Uh, this season he's been incredible. But they can really attack the interior, bringing Nick Bolton down, using Chris Jones, getting all of even you know George Karloftis, interior pass rushers, Justin Reed, you're going to see Trent McDuffie, you're going to see Legereus Sneed, you're going to see Juan Thornhill, you're going to see all these guys mixing in blitzes because when you can confuse Trevor Lawrence, maybe you get a couple sacks, maybe you see an errant throw because he still wants to test windows down the field, and that split-second decision to make a throw might turn into an interception. So Steve's going to have a game plan where he's going to try to confuse Trevor Lawrence on Saturday, and like, I'm, I'm excited to see what he comes up to match what he did last time. Yeah, because looking back at the previous match, I mean, again, both teams, I think, are playing much better football now than they were then, mm-hmm. especially Jacksonville. They were 3-7 and seven at this time. This loss yeah. dropped, or this loss against Kansas City dropped them to 7, and then they went on a fantastic run, obviously winning their division, winning the playoff game against the Chargers, so it's tough to take it as just apples to apples here. There's a little bit differential, but when you look at what happened, Willie Gate Jr., linebacker, got a sack. Uh, Chris Jones, one and a half. Carlos Dunlap, a half. Colin Saunders up the middle, one sack. And then Leo Chanel, he got a sack. Um, it was a lot of disguised blitzes. It was not just Chris Jones in the D-line. It was some linebackers. Mm-hmm. You're right. I expect some of that to continue into this game. By the way, a little trivia question. Did you have any idea that someone named Hugo Amadi played for Kansas City this year because he got a tackle in that game? No. Can't say that I did. That's, yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah, there you go. There, there's a little <laughs> trivia question. Did you know that Hugo Amadi? There we go. I had zero idea. I feel like I know the Chiefs in the NFL extremely well. No idea. That one, 
is yeah, on I, me. I didn't even see him get, get raised up for that game either. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Uh, I looked him up. He actually had four tackles this season. So either you and I are bad at our jobs or uh, he's flying mm-hmm. under the radar. Absolutely flying under the radar <laughs> when you switch him out there, man. And sometimes, I mean, we all miss things. I'm not, I'm not perfect. So uh, I'm glad that one was able to slip by me. I'm glad that you were able to let me know that it happened. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's very, very interesting. Yeah. Uh, one thing I do want to talk about, Daniel, is Doug Peterson, because I am a massive Doug Peterson fan. Uh, you might not find a bigger Doug Peterson fan than myself. I always said he got unfairly canned. Uh, in his tenure with the Philadelphia Eagles, he won a Super Bowl in what a year and a half later. He was he was gone. Mm-hmm. They have a statue outside, and then he was canned. That's wild to me. I understand the Eagles are doing very very well with Nick Sirianni, and Sirianni might win Coach of the Year. So it worked out for both parties. But Doug Peterson is going to be extremely aggressive. We saw it against the Chargers. We saw it in the first matchup against Kansas City. To an extent, I hate saying playing with house money because guess what? You never win when you play with house money. But I will say this, the season is already a success for the Jacksonville Jaguars. They could lose by 50, and no one's going to say that was a bad season. They are a year ahead of where they're supposed to be, and so that allows Jacksonville to play loose. How aggressive do you think Doug Peterson is going to be in this game? I think he's going to test the boundaries of aggressiveness. We're talking, I I don't know if they're going to punt inside of fourth and five um, ever. I don't, I don't think that they'll do it because we've seen time after time after time of teams punting a football like fourth and five or fourth, excuse me, fourth and four and shorter, and guess what? The Chiefs go down and score a touchdown. In these games like this, the only way you're going to win the game, not keep it close, not compete, the only way you're going to win is by going for fourth down, keeping the offense on the sideline, extending drives, and at the, at the end of the day, you're allowing your defense to be on the field a shorter amount of time. Say you don't get those fourth downs. Okay, well, the Chiefs have a short field. All right, we get the ball back after that. You're just trying to maximize your own possessions, and the one way you can do that, going for it on fourth down. Even if you don't get it, you're maximizing your own possessions because you're going to end up getting it back too. So it's we're going to see a lot of different things. I don't know if he'll do a, a you know an onside kick right off the bat, but <laughs> you never really know with Doug Peterson. You're going to probably see a couple different trick plays. Just the Chiefs defense is going to have to be – on their heels. They're going to have to, un- not on their heels, but they're going to have to be, have their wits about them. Expect the unexpected in this game. When you think something's going to happen, maybe you should expect it something else. Fake punts. They're going to pull out a lot of stuff out of the bag. So um, I'm a little you know, nervous in terms of what we're going to see from Doug Peterson, but he's going to be extremely aggressive, I imagine, this game. Yeah, I was saying Doug Peterson doesn't have stones. Dude has boulders. I mean, the decision-making against the Chargers was was just <laughs> incredible. Again, I, I'm a big fan of Doug Peterson, so I'm excited. That, that's the yeah, only thing great. that makes me nervous. The, Char- I mean, the, the, the Jacksonville Jaguars are one year ahead of schedule. Again, the season is going to be considered a, a win for them no matter what happens in this game. That allows that team to play very, very low loose. Trevor Lawrence already had the yips. He already had the light was too bright moment in the first half against the Chargers and what happened? He settled down. I don't think that happens again against the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, Spags may confuse him, but I don't think we're going to see Trevor mm-hmm. Lawrence look overwhelmed again. He's been here and he's shown he can win a playoff game. That's huge. Now, the Chiefs on the other hand, the one part that makes me nervous, the one little instance, they're expected to win and they're expected to win relatively handily. That can force you to play a little tight. 
I've been saying it about the Bills all season long when it comes to the playoffs. It's very difficult when you have everyone watching you. You're supposed to win. The Bills, for example, were the team that almost everyone picked to win the Super Bowl. That is a tough task to live up to because if you don't win, that's now constituted as a disappointment. The Chiefs, in my opinion, don't have to win the Super Bowl to have this constitute a, a good season, but they have to win this game. If they lose, that is a disappointing season. So in my opinion, that's the one thing that makes this game very, very interesting because if you're Kansas City, I don't want them to come out and play extremely tight. Yeah, that's, we've seen it all season where they come out and don't necessarily show up early or throughout the game at times, the Colts game everyone talks about, um, they're just not really showing up like they didn't have to play. I, I, I tend to think that this team is more playoff-driven. We've seen it over the last few years. Them really start to kick it into gear at the not just the end of the season, but in the postseason, we're going to find out exactly what they, how, what kind of business they mean. They come out and they treat this like a business trip to their own stadium. You know, I think that that's going to be really evident in the first drive, in the first play, in the first way that they approach this football game on defense or offense. It doesn't really matter. They have to come out. With their, uh, with their own ability to be mentally engaged. When they are mentally engaged in a football game, it's not just fun to watch. It's almost impossible to stop. They, on both sides, I think that they're a really, really well-oiled machine when, everything, when everyone's engaged and people are flying around the football on defense and they're mixing up their coverages. And, you know, Patrick is just... Daniel, did we lose you? Daniel, I think we just lost. You did me. It muted me. I didn't mute you, Daniel. I didn't mute you. We don't even have no, that. my phone did. Oh, I was about to say. I was like, Daniel, we don't even have the ability over here to mute you, pal. We don't have. You think you have a no, cough button over here for you? If you cuss, we're screwed, pal. Come on. Yeah, no, I'm halfway through I'm halfway through a monologue, and my phone just mutes. Like, what? <laughs> What's going on here? Well, fi- to my point. Yeah, finish the monologue now. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's let's take a oh, look at, at, at the scores from this week, and I want to get your uh, your, your predictions here. We'll do Chiefs and Jags last. Uh, we'll do Giants and Eagles first. Are we going to see a upset, or do the Eagles take care of business against a divisional foe? Yeah, I think the Eagles will win this. I think it's going to be closer than most people expect. The Giants are really good, and they're uh, Daniel Jones is playing the best football of his career. He's not just you know a product of the system. He's playing well, above what most people thought he would be. So I do think the Eagles win. I'm, I'm very excited to watch the Giants play because much like the Jaguars, they're a team ahead of schedule with a brand-new offensive coordinator, brand-new head coach. They came into this season. People thought they were going to be bad. You know, Daniel Jones has proven every wrong by earning himself a contract. So I, I do think they're going to keep it close, but they'll lose. I'll, I'll go with your synonym, a.k.a. Jalen Hurts, since you're Daniel Harms. Uh, I'll, I'll go with your synonym. Uh, come on, that was clever, Daniel. Are you serious? Didn't give me anything there, not even a <laughs> chuckle, a courtesy chuckle. Are you serious, I'm not over here, lie, pal? I'm trouble following the train of thought. <laughs> the synonym hurts, harms. <sighs> Read a book, Daniel. Come on. Yeah, that one's not. A, that one's not. I'm not gonna do it for me, man. Okay, Kyle's back there behind the glass right now, cracking up. <laughs> He's laughing his ass off. <laughs> Are you laughing at me or with me? I think he's at. I think it's at me. Yeah, he's not a fan either. That was a good joke. That was a good joke. You know what? I I, I understand it. It's okay. I understand. You know what? Don't follow Daniel on Twitter, guys. Don't do it because he apparently can't understand my jokes. 
Uh, Bengals, Bills, Bengals offensive line without Jonah Williams. He is week to week. That is a massive loss considering what we saw in that game. The Ravens were taking it to them. That offensive line looked like a disaster. And then the Bills losing Von Miller. Tredavious White has not been the same since coming off of injury, although he showed a little bit out against the Miami Dolphins to an extent, but safety play has still been an issue. Not what, not what we thought it was going to be for the Bills all season long. How does this game shake out? This is a this is very interesting because the offensive line problems have reverted the Bengals back a little bit to what they were last year. They were really nice this year running the football, being you know more unpredictable with their play calls. I don't necessarily they didn't run the ball very well against the Ravens last uh, last week. So I think the Bengals are going to win a very very close football game because again the Bills did not instill a bunch of confidence in anybody either. Um, but both teams kind of trying to find themselves in this divisional matchup that should be played at a neutral site location too, yes. but it's not. Yes. So that's weird. Uh, but I do, I do uh, think that the Bills win, uh, excuse me, the, the Bengals win a uh, close game. Ooh, so you and I differ here. I'm going the Bills winning a close game. I think the offensive line yeah. will be the difference in this one. Uh, I don't argue. It, 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 I get it. It's very reminiscent of the Chiefs' Super Bowl offensive line. So, again, Kansas City Chiefs fans don't have any sort of sympathy for Cincinnati since apparently we were always told <laughs> next man up mentality. So, Cincy, yeah, next man up. Okay? No sympathy from me, pal. Uh, Cowboys, 49ers. This one I find very very intriguing. What are your thoughts? Oh, man. So this is the – finally, Brock Purdy is going to face a very aggressive defense that's going to get after him. No matter what, it does not matter. They're going to get after Brock Purdy. They're going to confuse him. They're going to do a lot of different things stylistically, and I don't think he's going to have the time to just sit in the pocket like he has. If you watch that that game against the, the Seahawks, dude was sitting there. He was just sitting there distributing, checking down to Christian McCaffrey. It didn't matter. Elijah Mitchell, he had time to do whatever he wanted to. So um, I think the Cowboys are going to get after him. But at the end of the day, I do think the 49ers are going to win this football game. It's not going to be because Brock Purdy is just incredible. I think it'll be because they run the ball really, really well, and their defense gets Dak Prescott back into a little bit more of what he was before the Buccaneers game, which is throwing the ball into some questionable situations. I actually have the Cowboys winning this game, and that was something I did not think I was going to say heading into, I don't know, Monday or Tuesday. Yeah, I, I was very surprised that I myself talked myself into it, but I'm doing it because I think if the 49ers get behind, can Brock Purdy be the guy that leads them to victory? I don't think he can. I'm not saying Brock Purdy's no, bad. No, I, I agree. I, I don't think he's bad, yeah. but that, that, that's why I'm taking this shot. I, I think it's going to come down to if Dak Prescott, the Cowboys, get to an early lead, they are a team that can lean on the run game with Tony Pollard. Ezekiel Elliott, I don't know. But they're finally giving Tony Pollard a lot more carries, and he's responded with over 1,000 yards rushing this season. I think what we saw from Dak Prescott, in a similar sense to Trevor Lawrence, the Cowboys and Dak got the early playoff jitters out of their system. Those first two drives were brutal. I mean, brutal. But they got that out of their They're system. Awful. But they did, though. That was a case of the lights being too bright. They settled in. I think they're settled in now, and I don't think the lights will be too bright as they face the 49ers. They get out to an early lead, and I don't think the Niners have enough in Brock Purdy to catch back up. That's what yeah. I'm going with. I also I feel like they were never threatened by the Buccaneers' offense ever. They kind True. of feel like, okay, we got time to figure our offense out. Uh, we have that time. I don't necessarily think they'll have that same amount of time, 
But I, I think this is going to be extremely fun. I really, actually, all of these matchups are going to be a ton of fun to watch. All right, finally, Chiefs, Jags, what's your final score? You and I have gone through the matchups. You've talked a lot about this game. What is your final score prediction here? All right, so I am going to take the Chiefs winning this football game, not just because I Ballsy. think they're a, a better football team right now, um, but I, it's going to be at home. It looks like they're going to have some snow. Right, right now, it looks like the forecast is calling for some snow, and we know, we know Patrick Mahomes loves him some snow football in Arrowhead Stadium. So I think, I'm, 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 I know it's going out on a limb here to yeah. say this, but I think the Chiefs win the football game. I think it's rather, it probably looks a little closer at the end, but I'll take them 31-24. I'll probably late touchdown by the Jags to make that a little bit closer. The over-under is 53 you had a pretty high score prediction there, and that's barely the over. Man, that's a lot of points. Uh, I'm with you. I think the Chiefs, uh, they, they win fairly handedly, and it might look closer than the score actually is. Uh, the Jags are a feel-good story. They're just a year away. They're fun. They're enjoyable. I wish they weren't playing the Chiefs because I like rooting for them. I like rooting for Doug I, Peterson. I'm with you. I, I like rooting for Christian Kirk, uh, having a fun season, proving all the analytics people, myself, all the, the, the smart folks that talk contracts wrong. Yeah, I'm an idiot. I go, <laughs> what the hell, Christian Kirk 20 mil? Yeah, and he's looking really, really freaking good. So should be a fun game. I'm looking forward to it. What are you doing for the game, Daniel? You're getting crazy for it? Oh, I'm not getting crazy for it. Um, I, my wife is TDY for four months, so I got to deal with my daughter at the same time watching the football game. So, you know, there's a, since we're on the base at Whiteman, there's a little lottery that they were going to have to throw out, to give, give away some Chiefs tickets. But I can't, I, I can't really make it with, with her, especially with how cold it is. I don't think she would survive the whole game. So uh, I'm going to stay at home. We're going to cook up some wings in the air fryer, I think, and uh, just have a few beers and keep it chill. Yeah, a few beers turns into about 10 with the game being closer while we <laughs> white-knuckle it. You know that's how I rock watching the games. Daniel Harms, make sure you follow him on Twitter at inharmsway19. He's a fantastic follow. Great breakdowns on Twitter. Make sure you guys follow because, trust me, you will love to follow him and see his breakdowns. Again, Daniel Harms, film analyst, RGR Football. Always a pleasure. Always, man. I appreciate you having me on this uh Get, get ready for a game, man. It's going to be a lot of fun. Let's do it. We'll take a quick break. Come back. Home stretch here. ESPN. Kansas. Welcome back to the home stretch. ESPN. Kansas City. 1510 AM. 94.5 FM. 1510.com and Facebook Live. Live in studio. Thank you again to Daniel Harms, film analyst. Always love having him on. Getting his breakdowns. Make sure you guys do follow him on Twitter at inharmsway nineteen. Very, very good. That's actually originally how I found him. It was on Twitter, breaking down Chiefs plays. Kyle, that KUK State game last night was wild. Yeah, it was. The refs tried to get in the way. Way too much stoppage. And before we talk about the game and how incredible it truly was, no one complains about the refs. Come on, guys. I'm a neutral party here. Yeah, yeah Mizzou fan. Yeah. I'm a Mizzou guy. Neutral party. It was actually fun. I got to watch a great basketball game just sitting there going, you know what? I don't really care. Yeah. This is fun. Frankly, being local media-wise, it's good for, yeah, for, for, for us if it's a good game. Yeah, some it's a great game. Yeah, exactly. But the refs were bad, but they were bad on both sides. Yeah. Both teams shot a lot of free throws. 67 in total. It was weird because early on in the game, 
It looked like they were going to let him play. Yeah. They're like, no, we're not calling it. You guys have fun. Smack the bleep out of each other. Yep. And then all of a sudden it was like, if you breathe on a dude, we're calling a foul. Yeah. And at one point, Fran Fischilla even starts talking like, oh, they're letting these guys play. I'm, 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 I'm sitting there, I go, Fran, what are you talking about? About 15 minutes into the game, I'm sitting here going, the refs have honestly done a fair job. They've done, I think, a pretty good job controlling this game, letting them play. It's been fun. By the end of the game, I go, holy crap, this was one of the worst ref games. And not even just, like, worst ref games. The way they went about it was horrible. Because, again, it was fair on both sides, right? They were bad on both sides. It just took some of the excitement away when there's just constant grinding to a halt. Definitely. I, I do think the final two plays of the, you know, the before overtime, right call. They let him play there. Yep. I don't think it was a foul. I think it was on K.J. Adams when he caught the inbounds pass. And then when it was stripped, and I want to say it was Keontae Johnson. I, th- I think you're right. I think you're right. Uh, when he went up for the layup and he he missed and he was trying to get a foul call, that was no foul there. Oh, that was there, on a Grady Dick. There was no foul there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Either way, K-State came away with the victory on one of the best play calls I have seen. Yep. Jerome Tang gave Bill Self a little taste of his own medicine. Now, Bill Self would have done a backdoor screen. What Jerome Tang did, fake backdoor screen, roll back, alley-oop. Yep. Tell me you could not see Bill Self drawing up that play. It looked like a classic Bill Self play, to be honest with you. I couldn't believe I saw that from the team in white and purple. I was sitting there just screaming, saying, that was Bill Self. That was a Bill Self play. Drum Tang, phenomenal job coaching, entire game, understanding when to insert Keontae Johnson back into the game, when to reel him back. He obviously was dealing with a lot of foul trouble all game long. Uh, Noel, bad game. Four points. Bad game, missed a wide-open three. I don't know how many turnovers he had. Let me pull it up. Three turnovers, but it almost felt like more. Uh, a couple, I believe, were passes off dude's hands that were should have been turnover on him, but not touched last by right, him, so right. it wasn't on him. He, he just didn't have the same impact that we've seen from him all season long. Part of that, you got to credit Dewan Harris. Yep. Dewan Harris, I always, again, Mizzou guy here, always ripped on my KU friends. Always ripped on them when they were talking about Dewan Harris and his inability to shoot the ball. Yeah, he's a bad shooter. I understand. But he's a true point guard. And in college basketball, true point guards make a massive difference. He's a phenomenal defender, a great assist guy, gets guys open. Yep. He controls the game. Dewan Harris controls the game. And he locked down no, uh, uh, Noel. Marquise Noel, yeah. yeah. If you would have told me uh, Jalen Wilson had 38 that night and Noel only had four, yeah. I'd have thought, what was the score, 92-67, to 67, Kansas? Yeah, 83-82 in overtime. Jalen Wilson, great game. K.J. Adams, I thought, was a difference maker. Him fouling out was, was massive. Yeah, um, yeah it was. Fifth, 17 points, only two rebounds, but that's because Jalen Wilson, he got his fair share as well as Grady Dick. Um, Grady Dick shot really poor from the field, one of eight from three. I don't want to say he looked timid, but as a three-point shooter, my own – I like to say my own right. Yeah. I, I still play basketball a lot. You go through these situations where, and again, he's a way better shooter, way better player than I'll ever be, but as a shooter, sometimes you can tell what's going through the mind. 
it looked like he was aiming when he was shooting. When you get to one to four, one of five, one of six, you have an open three, yeah. and you're sitting there going, well, line it up, and you're almost aiming it. You're, you're thinking too much. Yeah. It looked like Grady Dick was thinking too much. That's what it looked like. Yeah, he didn't look free and smooth out there in the second half, at least. I know that. Bill Self calling a horrible timeout. Uh, right I don't, I, I don't want to yeah. say it was a horrible timeout. The result was yeah. a horrible timeout. Yeah. When you saw Jalen Wilson start lining it up from 38 yeah. feet, yeah. that was well behind NBA range. I get it. He's hot. I understand Jalen Wilson's been your best offense. But when you see him lining it up with two guys on him, yeah. Bill Self ran over to the ref and just goes, come on, timeout, yeah. timeout. Wilson was right at the end where the Wildcat logo ends. And you saw that little hop he did, and I said, oh, that ball's going up. Oh. And Bill thought it too. Bill <laughs> thought – and again, I, I don't blame him for calling timeout yeah. because you're thinking, horrible shot. Yeah, he's, he's about to launch that one. <laughs> Splash. And then the play call was – the result was horrible. It was a jacked-up three from the corner. Kobe Bryant-esque type three. Yeah, I know. But, but the game was so much fun. By the way, Desi Sills – Former Off Arkansas. Off the bench. Uh, see, I remember Desi Sills being a Mizzou fan because Desi Sills was very good at Arkansas. To the back. He was very good at Arkansas when he played against the Missouri Tigers. Okay. Played okay. two years at Arkansas, one year at Arkansas State because there was a little bit of, um, I remember there was a little bit of transfer issue because he was going to go to Auburn, fell through, he went to Arkansas State. Now he's uh, at K-State. He is the perfect sixth man. A microwave. A dude who, not afraid to create his own shot and throw that thing up there. He had a few shots where you're sitting, no, no, no. Why are you shooting that? Yes, yes, yes. That's what a good sixth man does. Desi Sills, Keontae Johnson, they were the difference maker for K-State. Tomlin had a good game in his own right as well. But this is a statement win for the Wildcats. This is a game that shows they are here. 16-2, 5-1 16-2, and 5-1 and one in the conference. You win at home against K-State, they are real. Jerome Tang is real. K-State, lock him up now to a long-term extension. Oh, yeah. I've seen enough. Can you see the similarities between Tang and, and Kansas State basketball and Leipold and Kansas football? Good, good comparison there, yeah. I mean, Tang, that's, a, that's an announcement when he's here. The Big 12, the Cats can compete now. I love his post-game yeah. <laughs> getting on the scores table, buying into it. He's bought into K-State. I mean, he, yeah, he is through and through Emaw, right? Yeah. But I like how he goes, you get one, storm in the court, mm-hmm. you get one. Expect to win from now on. Yeah, that's that's the way right to go there. about it. Don't that. go ripping on, the, on, on your own fan base, right? I understand KU fans sitting there, well, you be, you're 13th of the nation. I get it. Come on. You know how big of a win this is for K-State. Yeah. I agree. K-State football stormed the field after almost every single win to start the year. Don't give me that. Mm-hmm. This is a big win for K-State. But Jerome Tang, the way he went about that, saying expect to win from now on, if you're a K-State fan, that's what you want to hear. Absolutely. KU is still going to be very good. KU, this was about the worst game they could have played as far as the way they shot the ball. Yeah. Uh, six of 29 from the, from the three-point line. Again, Grady Dick was one of eight. Uh, Dewan Harris, one of six. Jalen Wilson, three of ten, although he had a great game overall. If you're a KU fan, you have to be at least enthused with, hey, you might not shoot worse this season. If you're K-State, you just beat KU 
on your home field, statement win, Big 12 basketball, best conference in college basketball yeah. right now. No, oh, yeah. not, I don't think it's even close. Competition-wise, 100%. Don't think it's close. And I'm an SEC guy. Don't think it's close. Yeah. Uh, we'll take a quick break. Talk about some SEC basketball on the other side. Home stretch here, ESPN. Welcome back into the home stretch, ESPN, Kansas City. All right, we talked KU, K State. K State gave them their props. Again, Jerome Tang, uh, front runner, has to be for coach of the year in college basketball. Uh, Dennis Gates from the Missouri Tigers, I think, has done a very fine job in his own right. Not seen quite the success, although we have seen a couple of marquee victories. Mizzou, uh, they are sliding right now, losing three out of their past four games, losing to Arkansas, beating Vandy, then losing to A&M at A&M, then losing at Florida. They need to stop the bleeding. Again, they took care of business on their home court, right? Home court, they've beaten Arkansas, they've beaten Vandy. On the road, they lost to all three SEC teams. Well, now they're at home. They are facing Arkansas. They need this game. They had a chance, and frankly, they should have beaten Arkansas the first go-around in Fayetteville. They need this game. They need to right the ship. We're starting to see the fan base, I don't want to say turn, But we're starting to see the fan base say, here we go again. Here we go again. How is this year any different? Dennis Gates, this Missouri Tigers basketball team, needs to show that this is different. Show that this is getting turned around. I I, I understand. Missouri Tigers, they're not going far if they make the NCAA tournament. But they need to make the, the NCAA tournament. And that starts with a win over Arkansas. Arkansas, they're sliding. Ever since their win against Missouri, they've dropped their final three. They lost at Vandy, lost against Alabama, then lost at Auburn. What are you thinking here, Kyle? So, last time in Fayetteville, Missouri dropped the game by what, five, six points? Six, yeah. Yeah, Missouri, get this win. You're at home. I 100% agree with you. You need this. And are Missouri fans really slipping that much? I'm not tuned in that much to Missouri basketball. Uh, I would say it's one of those situations where you're sitting here going, all right, the shoe's dropping. Okay. You've, you, you've dropped three out of four. The only team you beat was, was Vandy at home, which, again, is fine. Vandy's not a horrible team. It's not Vandy football, right? Vandy basketball is not a bad squad. But the point is, this year was starting to feel different. You took care of business against Illinois. You took care of business against um, against Kentucky. The reason why it makes it difficult is when you look across I-70, what do you see? K-State uh, and Drum Tang crushing it. Yeah. You're sitting here going, why can't we? They're in a tougher conference, K-State. It's Mizzou's time. Take care of business. I think they win tonight. I think it's going to be a very, very close game. Kobe Brown needs to show up. Kobe Brown's had a very nice year. Got to show up in Demoy Hodge. That's the guy I'm watching for for the Tigers. Demoy Hodge, he's been a little quiet recently. He is the best shooter on the Missouri Tigers, right? Phenomenal shooter. To an extent, reminds me a little bit of Grady Dick, right? Athletic, three-point shooter. Demoy Hodge, take the ball, score the ball, Go get your hit shot. some threes, get your shot. This was the home stretch. ESPN Kennedy City back live in studio tomorrow at 3 to 4 p.m. Until then, we are out.